Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for that. And my name is Maureen Brown, and I, it is my pleasure to be with you here this morning in the grown-up service. Normally, I'm with the children, and I love that. But today, we have grade one to six in here, and it's family day, family day weekend, and I'm really excited to be here with you this morning. We are starting a new series today, and you'll probably notice we've got something up here called White Space. And we've just come out of a great series that was called Fresh Encounters. And for those of you that were here, you saw the last couple of weeks, a number of weeks, we have had this big ship up at the front. This big ship with these sails, and it was a metaphor for how God moves us as we put out our sails, how God moves us through the power of the Holy Spirit rather than a motor. And it was a great metaphor, and we, we learned a lot of things, and we were encouraged, and we were challenged. But... Before we took that ship down, and some of you may have seen this, I need to show you what happened this past week at the church. There we are, the entire staff at Forest Grove, we got in the ship. Now, we had been wanting to do that for a long time. We had. And I want to tell you, in children's ministries, we would not have let that ship ship get past the first week. We would have all been in it, and I would have had a hard time getting them out of it. And I'm not talking about kids. I'm talking about the leadership team. That would have been them in there and wanting to play in there. But here's the thing. I want you to, to notice one thing. This was instigated by one person on staff. You're going to be so proud of this one person. He, now, we all wanted it to happen. We did, but one person really got into it in a special way. We're going to zoom in on that one person and see that one face. There it is, our lead pastor, Pastor Bruce. Now look at that face, and just aren't you going to go, So I want to tell you, we love doing it. There's a, you know, there's a new recruit for children's ministries if there ever was one. That is just such a great face. Thanks. We can go back to the series, but we had a lot of fun with that. And the Fresh Encounters series moved a lot of us. And there was a lot of people that talked about how it impacted them in their prayer life. And even in their longing for something more. And so that's why I'm really excited as we go into this White Space series. Creating room to focus on what really matters. So in graphic design... And I am not a graphic design artist. Some of you are. Lots of you are, and you know way more than me. So I looked this up. In graphic design, white space is often referred to as negative space. It's the portion of the page that is left unmarked and uncluttered so that the true focus and content of the page can stand out. We have a temptation to want to fill that space, especially if we're buying advertising. We think, all of that, look at all the things I could put in there. But it's been proven that it truly doesn't work just to clutter the space. And today we're going to talk about the same way that is with our lives. When we fill our lives with all kinds of things and all kinds of things that are clamoring for more and more and more space, how that's very unproductive for us, even if they're really good things. In this series, we want to look at three areas of focus through the life of Moses. And so I'm starting it today, and then Pastor Bruce is going to take it the next two weeks. And these three areas of focus are what's in our heart, what's in our hand, and what's in our day. Would you pray with me? 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you for each and every person that is in this room and gathered in this sanctuary. Lord, I pray for your presence this morning. Lord, I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit when truly that's the only way that things are truly taught. Lord, I pray that what's of just me would fall away and what's of you would be what we hold on to and what we cling to. And so, Lord, we ask this morning that you would open our hearts and minds to what you want to teach us today. Pray this in your name. Amen. So today we are asking the question, what's in your heart? And it's just a coincidence that it happens to be Valentine's Day, believe it or not. But for those of you, and especially, well, I, don't, I shouldn't say especially guys, it could be girls too, that are thinking, oh, Valentine's Day, here's a subtle reminder because it's still the, the whole day ahead. It can be like, I had a surprise for you this afternoon that you were waiting for. So just know that between you and me and no one else has to know. So it's Valentine's Day, so the heart is really great to focus on with kids. And if you, you've been around kids and I'm around kids lots, but they can take your words very literally. So you have to be careful what you say to children. And so when you talk about heart to kids, they right away will usually go to the muscle, that muscle that's in our body, that heart that's right there, that heart. Or they might go to the Valentine's heart, red and pink hearts. They might go there. They'll think of that kind of heart. And so when I talk about Revelation 3.20 or when we talk about Jesus standing at the door of our heart, they might say, my heart has a door. I didn't know my heart has a door. Can other people get in? And so then I think, okay, no, we got we to gotta talk about that a little differently. Then if I, we talk about the verse, guard your heart, they think of a shield. I got a shield. Or maybe they think of even a lock. I got to put a lock on my heart. And they said, you told me not to put a lock because Jesus was standing at the door. So I let it unopen. You know, they, I left it open. I wanted him to come in. All these things that kids can get confused about when it comes to heart. And I think really, you know, we all have a tendency... Just like kids. That's what I love about working with them because they, they question back things that sometimes I question too. And so I'd like to ask you, when you think of the word heart, what do you think of? How do you define that? More than just the muscle. More than just the round Valentine's heart. Well, I guess I'd like to say that the heart is really important. It's the place or the seat of our will and our decision-making. It incorporates the mind and the emotions, our deepest longings. It's truly where our loyalty lies. If our heart stops, well, actually, you're dead, but that's another sermon. If our heart stops, we're really in trouble, right? So if our heart, when we talk about that, if, there, if it stopped, we are really in trouble, Proverbs 16.23 says, The hearts of wise people guide their mouths. 1 Samuel 16.7 says, People look at the outside, but God looks at the heart. Romans 10.9 says, If you say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Ephesians 3.17, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. So I'm hearing a lot of things about heart from the Bible. I'm hearing it can guide us, that the Lord looks at it, that you can believe with it, and that Christ can make his home in it. So it's much more than the muscle, even though that's a good metaphor because it gives us life. The heart 
gets this life. I love Ezekiel 36, 26. God says, and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. That tells me he can give us a new heart. The word heart is in the Bible hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. As a matter of fact, in some translations, it's over. It it hits the thousand. It's in there a lot. There's a purpose for that. And so when we think of white space, what we don't want to do is we don't want to think of white space and just that space that we want to get away in. We don't want to focus on the white space. We want to focus on what that room allows us to bring into focus. What really pops out? What really stands out? Now, we're in the season of Lent. And so, Lent, I heard a radio show this week, and everyone is phoning in and saying, I'm giving up this, I'm giving up this, I'm giving up this. And I thought, ooh, that's sad on that show, because it's not really the focus of what we're giving up. It's what the giving up allows us to focus on. So I wish they would have had that question different. You know, what are you seeking? What are you longing for during this season? So that they didn't even mention the giving up. Because really, we don't really want people to even know that. So for what purpose? For what purpose? And hopefully what we're doing has a purpose. And that's to draw us closer to Christ. And more of what he wants for us and has for us. This morning, we're going to look at the life of Moses who was a great man in the Old Testament. Moses got the Ten Commandments. He was a man that had intimate communion with the Lord. He wrote the first five books of the Bible, and I know grade one and six, one to six are here. You know those first five books. You can say them with me. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Someone from grade one to four, can you shout out what we call those first five books? The Pentateuch. Yes, good job. You know what? You can ask any of them. They are smart kids. Yeah, the Pentateuch, thank you. The Pentateuch. So Moses, Moses was an incredible man, and we can learn a lot. Exodus 1 tells us the story of a new pharaoh, a new pharaoh that didn't know anything about Joseph and his family, a new pharaoh that was concerned because of the huge amount of Israelites that were growing. The Hebrew nation was becoming big, and he was fearful that they were going to overtake. So he enslaved them, each and every, he made them slaves. And then even that wasn't working because they were still growing under those conditions. So he put out a decree that every male Hebrew baby would be killed. And so we want to read Exodus 2, verses 1 to 8, about the birth of Moses. And kids that are in the room, I put some pictures up there for you as well. After this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him, and she said, this must be one of the Hebrew children. 
Then the baby's sister approached the princess and said, should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? And she asked, and the princess said, yes, do. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. So what an incredible plan happened. Moses' mother was able to take care of her baby, able to nurse and feed her baby. Now, if you study um, th- those times, it would not be uncommon for a Hebrew woman to have her child nursing and weaning nurse to the age of three and beyond. That would not be uncommon. So I have to think of that. If I was that mother of Moses and I had those very pivotal years, those three to four years, and I knew I was giving my baby back when he was older, every time I was feeding him or every time I was with him, I would be telling him who he is, who he is, who his family is, who his people are. You'd be telling him this, telling this, because you knew I'm giving him back to Pharaoh's daughter. So then she did. She gave him back. And Moses grew up in a palace. He grew up in a palace. And I think that Moses must have struggled with a sense of dual identity. All the riches of the world were his. He had the finest of everything. And yet I can only imagine that as he watched his people suffering in slavery, that he ached for that. So this dual identity, who am I? What, what, what am I supposed to do? Well, when Moses grew up, we know the story. The Bible tells us that his identity as an Israelite overtook him and he killed an Egyptian that was hurting one of his people. But God had a plan and he had a part in it. Perhaps, um, I ask the question, why was God able to use Moses so effectively? Why? Maybe it was because Moses settled some basic questions in life. And those basic questions could be, who am I? What are my choices? And what is really important? What really matters? Looking at Hebrews, verse 24 to 26, it says, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. So, who am I? Verse 24. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What are my choices? Verse 25. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. And what is really important, what really matters Verse 26, he thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. I guess this morning I think those are three very important questions that we need to ask ourselves as well. Moses, after killing the Egyptian, a few things happened and he ended up running and he found refuge in Midian, where he married and had a son. Exodus 2.22 tells us about Zipporah when she gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I've become a foreigner in a foreign land. So Moses had a real wilderness time for 40 years. Sometimes I'm just so amazed how often 40 is used in the Bible, but for 40 years, Moses had this wilderness time. 
40 years to prepare for what God had in store for him. And so I, I just would like to ask us, have you ever found yourself in a wilderness time? Have you ever found yourself in a dry time? A time where you wanted a word from the Lord so badly and you felt like it just wasn't there. Your answer was yes to any of those questions that I'm just praying that God has a word for you this morning. White space. That white space that will allow us to create room so what's really important comes forward. Sometimes we have our lives so full of stuff. Like I said, really good stuff. We might look at, oh, I've got Tuesday night. I can take another class. I can do this. We fill it. We fill it. We fill it. Because we, we just feel like there's, there's a space for us to do stuff. And we miss out on what's God calling me to or what's God maybe want to speak to me. When I was uh, a number of years ago and my children were all little, I took this Bible study called Experiencing God. Maybe some of you have done it. I I did it several times because I really love that study. But one of the things in that study that you're supposed to do is for half an hour go out in nature. Half an hour go out in nature and let God, you know, praise God and see what God says to you. Well, my week had been very busy and I didn't have that half hour. So the study was that night. Elmer came home. I said, here's supper. Here are the kids. I got to get out and get into nature and hear from God before I go at seven o'clock because I don't want to go unprepared. So we lived in the country. I got on our driveway. I just started to book it and I'm booking. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, there's grass. Oh, rocks. Oh, trees. And so praise the Lord. Oh God, it's so wonderful. I'm just like all these things. And then, you know, as I was walking, the wind was blowing and my hair was blowing in my face. And I turned to try and get that wind, the hair to go out of my face. And you know, sometimes when you turn towards the wind, there's kind of this hollow sound that can feel kind of silent. And that's what happened. Now, it wasn't an audible voice, but I tell you what was impressed on me was the Lord saying to me, Maureen, I'm speaking to you all the time. You just need to stop long enough to listen. It hit me. And I thought, yeah, in my whole week, couldn't find a half an hour, a half an hour to be with him. The next part of Moses' story is one that is one of my favorites. And this is the story of Exodus 3, 1 to 5, the burning bush. And it says, one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't the bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. Verse 4 in another translation says this, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of a bush, and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. So it says, when the Lord saw him coming to take a closer look, when the Lord saw he turned aside to look, God had a plan for Moses. 
Moses turned aside to look. And when God saw that, he called him by name. Questions I have for myself and for us this morning is, do we see the burning bushes in the middle of our lives? Do we notice? Are we too busy? Do we move closer to look? Do we turn aside to look? What does that look like in our life to create space so that we can notice what God is doing? You know, while I go to Ephesians 5.1 and it says we're to be imitators of Christ, be imitators of God. So I thought we need to look at the life of Jesus to see what did Jesus do? How, what, how did Jesus handle it? When, when I see that, one of the things that stands out to me in the life of Jesus, his public life flowed out of times of solitude. Absolutely. Any major decisions that he had to make were come, came out of times of solitude. Luke 6 says he prayed in solitude before he chose the disciples. Matthew 14, he sought solitude after the death of John the Baptist. And right after that, he fed the 5,000. Luke 5 says, but he often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. In Ordering Your Private World, a book by Gordon MacDonald, He reminds us that we dare not minimize the fact that Jesus sought time in solitude with the Heavenly Father before every important decision and action during his public ministry. And so young families, you're probably saying to me, are you kidding? Are you kidding, Maureen? You couldn't even find a half an hour in a whole week when you were in my stage of life. And I know it's hard. And some other people are maybe saying, solitude? I don't even like being alone. I turn music on the moment I'm alone. I turn everything on. I don't like being alone. I really believe there's something for us when we create that space and that solitude time to be with the Lord. Jesus was also careful with limits. And we would say he was limitless, and he absolutely was, but he was careful with that. He didn't attempt to meet every need of every person. He didn't attempt to teach every person. And if anyone was aware of the needs or anyone was aware of the urgency of his message, it was him. Many of us act like limits don't exist. Or we think that, you know, as believers, there's a special exemption from limits. And don't hear me wrong. I do believe there are times when we can be um, empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit to do things that there's no way humanly we could do. And we're able to plow through things when we've had little rest, little sleep. But in the general form of a week, I mean, there's a Sabbath. There's sleep. Some of us maybe aren't even getting enough sleep. And the third thing I'd like to just suggest from Jesus' life is that he lived in response to God's plan and not the plan of others or the culture. He didn't or did do things that surprised and sometimes even disappointed those around him. Ruth Haley Barton in her book, The Soul of Your Leadership, says this, when the voices outside get louder than the voice of God, we've got a problem. We need to stop and recalibrate. You know, if we don't allow God to fill our time, believe me, there's lots of things and they're really good things that will fill our time and grab our space. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So I'd like to close by asking 
each of us those same questions that I believe Moses had to deal with. And the first question is, who am I? Who am I when no one else is around, when no one's looking? Who am I? What's my heart? What truly is in my heart? Are there things that I need to accept about the way that he has made me and quit striving in the wrong direction? Are there experiences that have been painful or wilderness times that have been painful that maybe I need to say, I'm going to embrace that time because I believe God wants to use it. Those are hard things, but asking that question, who am I? You know, I've often shared the time of my, my childhood and being raised by a father that was an alcoholic. I have to tell you, I mean, I love my dad. He didn't really know how to love me. He had some issues. He had some things going on. But I can stand here today and I can say, you know what? I am thankful for that experience because it has allowed me to speak hope into people's lives that, and children that are living the same thing that I lived. Had I not experienced it, maybe I wouldn't have that same window into what they're experiencing. The second question, what are my choices? So where is my loyalty? Where is your loyalty? What are your choices? What is before you? Are there things that I need to confess and get rid of so I can move forward? Or maybe some of you are sitting on that fence of even that choice of Jesus. And you're right there thinking, I'm not sure if this is really what I want to do or not. You're right there. You know, that's a choice. That's a major choice to choose him. Will we have all of our questions answered and will everything make sense? Absolutely not. I have questions all the time, but do I know that I know that I know that he's my Lord and Savior and that he's got a plan just like he had for Moses? Yes. So that's what are my choices. And then the third thing that we need to ask is what really matters? What's really important? Am I trying to do too much? Do I need to create that space for solitude so that I can have more time to get into his word? So that can be what focuses, to, get, to be praying, maybe to be fasting. Perhaps he's calling you to make this year's Lent a little different than you've done in the past. Perhaps he's calling you to a time of more surrendering, more focusing on who he is, creating that space, getting rid of some of those things that aren't really important so that you can truly say, who am I? Who have you made me to be? And what are you calling me to? Or collectively, as Kevin mentioned, what are you calling our church to? That's a great time, and Pastor Bruce asked us to pray into that. What are you calling us to? You know, when I was going through this message, I just couldn't help but think, how many burning bushes have I missed? So maybe you want to ask that question of yourself. How many burning bushes are we missing? Because we haven't taken the time or had the time to turn our heads and look. And when what really matters comes into focus and becomes the focus, I believe we'll notice what he's doing. And we will turn our heads. And when God sees you, sees us coming closer, then he can call you by name. 
And I pray that we will be in a place where we will say, here I am. And then take off our shoes. Because those divine moments are truly holy ground. you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time, Lord, and I sense your presence, I sense your spirit in this room. Lord, I know that each person here is receiving a different message, the message that's right from you to their heart. So, Lord, I just ask that those would be just blooming into flame, bursting into flame, Lord, that those messages, may we, with what we're hearing from you, Lord, may we act on them and move forward in that. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for life. Thank you for giving us life. And thank you that um, you died on the cross for us and we truly can find our identity, our calling, and our passion in who you've made us to be. Pray these things.